Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and uh, and we're here. It is 1.03 a.m. on the East Coast, 12.03, where, uh, where Barton and Tom are located right now. And we've got our national championship game set. It will be the number one seed LSU Tigers against the number three seed Clemson Tigers. LSU absolutely rolled Oklahoma in the first game 63 to 28 Clemson 29 to 23 one of uh you know we we can throw out all kinds of superlatives we're going to break down these games from lots of different angles I would say that the Clemson Ohio State if if you're gonna have to go and rank all the college football games that we had this year that was probably one of the more intriguing ones and there's a lot to get into with that but uh, how we feeling right now? Late night, back at it, instant reaction pod. We haven't done a Saturday night one in bowl season yet. It's good to talk to you boys. <laughs> uh, you're on assignments. You are, uh, you're in Atlanta. You're, you got boots on the ground in the great party of Baton Rouge East. Uh, so you're, you're the one that's got the most, uh, the most firsthand Intel here today. I do. I do have a good amount of firsthand intel, but Tom also wrote the, uh, the Fiesta Bowl for CBSSports.com, and I was dialed in uh, to Barton as, uh, as the instant reaction man for, uh, for both of the, the games on CBS Sports HQ, which you can always see on CBSSportsHQ.com uh, or on the CBS Sports mobile app. I, I, it was funny, Barton. I actually like, listened to maybe the first two questions, and then I trashed it, not because I, I loved what you had to say, but I just didn't want to already like know where your head was at. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah like, you wanted like to I, hear it. You wanted to hear it in real time. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I thought you. I, I thought you had some good takes, and so I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Okay. All right. We're gonna bail on this. But it was. I mean, it was a pretty good scene in the uh, in the media hotel. Like everybody coming back from the game after you finish your writing or like as you're finishing, I, I did my, my write through on, uh, I did a piece on Joe Burrow. You can go read it on cbsports.com and like everyone was doing it while watching and everyone continued to sort of come back from the stadium. And by the time the fourth quarter started, we had a pretty good crowd uh, all together, sort of everybody with their laptops open or, or maybe just sort of sitting around watching the game uh and it was pretty epic should we start with ohio state clemson yes yeah okay (laughs) we should probably start with ohio state clemson um so clemson won ohio state played well enough to win did not catch breaks tom how do you balance the potential conspiracy theory outrage with the content of the game as we continue to move forward there will be conspiracy theory. Well, not conspiracy, but there will be the ref screwed us sentiments from Ohio State, and I don't give them that much credence, honestly. the The targeting call, I didn't like it, but yeah, by by the rule book, that was targeting. He got ejected for it. Do I wish there was leeway and like determining what's true? Like, 
Wh- who, who did it in the in the sh- uh, Peach Bowl? What's the kid's name? Radley Hines or whatever? Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. Yeah. That was targeting because that was full intent. He knew what he was doing the whole time. He launched into his head. The guy didn't even have the ball. The pass wasn't coming to him. None of that stuff. That's targeting. What happened in the Fiesta Bowl was just, you know, Sean would making a sack and their helmets collided. But again, by the rule book, it's targeting. I just, you know, there's needs to be a little more common sense involved. So I understand why they feel Ohio state fans would feel shortchanged by that. But again, it's, it's by the rule. The one I didn't quite agree with. And I think there's legitimate beef is, you know, the, the Justin Ross non fumble or non catch that was then picked up by Fuller. And, you know, he took it to the house and it would have given them a 23, 21 lead at the time. Like, I understand that they like the, the Dave Kataya, the, the game, you know, the ESPN ref guy comes on and says, well, we're watching it in slow motion. So it looks like, you know, well, he's slow motion or full speed. He still took three full steps with the ball in his hands. If those aren't football moves, I don't know what is. So that one, I didn't, I totally think that if Ohio state fans want to be really angry about go for it, you should be. But at the end of the day, man, it shouldn't have mattered. Ohio State had three red zone possessions in the first, you know, what, 25 minutes of this game. Got three field goals out of them. You had don't 16, win kicking field goals. You yeah. don't win kicking field goals. You had a 16 to nothing lead that should have been a 28 to nothing lead or a 24 to nothing lead at a minimum. Say, okay, you can't score every time, but it should have been at least 24 to nothing. Instead, it was 16 to nothing. And you let a team like Clemson hang around, and that's what's going to happen to you because, you know, this is a team that has won, you know, two national titles in the last three years and keeps getting back to the playoff, not by accident, because it's really good. Yeah, I, I think uh, in terms of the, the calls, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I am very anti-targeting. I hate the rule. I hate the punitive nature of the rule. I hate that there's no intent that is legislated in the rule like it's it's all just uh helmet to helmet but so yeah i agree if if i'm a defender and i'm sean wade and i'm coming in there that is is unfortunate that trevor lawrence ducks his head and and creates a targeting but all the college football like analysts on twitter saying it was a bad call is a bad take because it by the but the, the way the rule is written, that was the correct call. He lowered his head. It was, I mean, he, he there as, actually was a way he could have avoided being called for targeting. So it sucked. I hated to see him get kicked out. I didn't like to see that call made because it was a play in which there was no, there was no b- bad intent. It was just a incidental contact basically, basically deal. But that's the way the rule is written. So they had to call it. So I agree with you there. I also agree with you on the other side of it. Look, when they call, when they let that play go in real time on the fumble, I, I, I felt like, well, that's coming back. Like that's not a fumble. But then when you show it on replay and he takes three steps, you got, you can't overturn it. Like I can, I could, if, if the call on the field was incomplete pass, and you go to replay, then I can see the call standing. But to overturn that, that struck me as uh, bad. Um, so I get that beef. 
But I'm like you, Tom. I still think like Clemson went out and won that game. And look, they, they were red zone, missed opportunities in red zone. Part of that was just J.K. Dobbins dropping a couple passes, which, again, it sucks that he's actually has some – Cause he was the best player. Yeah. He was, he was the most inspiring best player on that field. And yeah, if there's either anyone team, on that field absolutely. that, that deserved to win that game is JK Dobbins, but he had two critical drops that led to field goals that really crushed Ohio state. But there's more like, I think that it didn't come back to bite them, but Ryan day, not going for two to go up three instead of two late in the game was, was kind of showed his age a little bit. And I felt like, Look, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, but you got a chance to win the game on fourth and two or three from the forty, and instead you give the ball to Trevor Lawrence with three minutes and seven seconds left to to drive the field, and he goes and wins it. So, I think that there were some some calls and some plays over the course of the game that Ryan Day is going to look back on and, and probably have a hard time hard time in retrospect. They've got uh, Clemson did not play its best game. You know, Trevor Lawrence, 18 for 33, 259 yards. You mentioned that drive. Like he did a phenomenal job. He was the team's leading rusher. Travis Etienne, just 36 yards on 10 carries, uh, ends up really breaking the game open as a receiver in the passing game with a couple of huge uh, passes, including the uh, two touchdown receptions. 53 yards on on one of those i think that when you've got the like clemson has to come out of this feeling like they dodged one right like clemson has to come out of this knowing that they got a bunch of breaks and things just sort of fell in their way and they were able to capitalize when it matters and look like like not i'm not going to lean in into the full uh heart of a champion thing i've, I've heard Debo sweeney talk about heart of a champion for probably like four or five seasons now it really started with Deshaun Watson. But I do think that there's something to that sort of built in confidence that probably comes from the coaching staff on down where when you've won 28 straight games going into it and you're sitting there and you're like, nah, we're, we're going to get this right now. And sure enough, uh, the, the final interception, the game ceiling interception comes, uh, from a player whose only scholarship offer was from Clemson. That was a very Clemson way uh, for that to end right there. Yeah. And, and I do, I do think Clemson, I, I, when I was on HQ, BMAC kept saying this, Brian McFadden kept saying this, like the Clemson is the best coach team in the country. I do think that that's probably true. Mm. I, I do think that Clemson, like think about this, think about what Brent Venables had to do this year, basically throwing out his, his, defensive scheme and just starting from scratch and running the Iowa state stuff. And now he's a three man front and he's got Isaiah Simmons just being this Rover kind of going wherever he, he moved, him, he moved him to safety for the second half. It was like, yeah. oh, oh, you're, you're letting these JK Dobbins runs break off. Well then let's move Isaiah Simmons to a deep safety. Then it ends up being a huge interception that uh, changes the game. And a bunch of the, and, and, and they do such a good job with those pressures from the second level and the different ways that they can stress an offensive line. And, and, and so like defensively they're off the charts and they're not like personnel wise, that defense, you mentioned it, chip, like they got guys that had one offers come out of high school. Like there are some, obviously some freaks out there. Don't get me wrong, but one to 11 
we talked about this before. Like they they got some guys out there that couldn't start for Ohio State, right? And so, I mean, that's and then I, just the way Trevor Lawrence quarterback run, quarterback run, quarterback run, quarterback run, and then the first time we see that counter all game is the two minute drill, like deep in Ohio State territory. They they show the Trevor Lawrence sort of quarterback run draw pop pass yeah the pop pass yeah and bam touchdown like how fitting like i just think clemson is is totally playing chess on on teams and even against a really well coached ohio state team that they i I feel like clemson outcoached them going going back to isaiah simmons i tweeted it he reminds me of brian erlocker with like i don't say that lightly like deep deep uh the old lovey smith giant a giant man who's freakishly athletic, who could do anything you ask him to as a defender. If you want him to rush the passer, he could do it. If you want him to be a run stopper, he could do it. If you want him to cover, he can do it. It's like, there's nothing that you can't use him for. He's amazing. He is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, will, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I I felt like this was a great game for Trevor Lawrence, even though if you look at the box score, it's not really pretty. I mean, he was only 18 to 33, which, you know, this is a guy who completed like 70% of his passes during the regular season. So that was well below that. You know, he's, he only averaged about 7.8 yards per attempt, which is well below his season average. But on, you mentioned his running and how they were able to counter it. This was a night where Ohio State's defense kind of did what it did against Wisconsin and other teams where it completely took Etienne out of the running game. Like mm-hmm. he finished with 36 yards rushing on 10 carries. And they were like saying, well, if you're going to beat us in the running game, it's going to have to be Trevor Lawrence who beats us, which serves two purposes. A, to keep Etienne from having the ball. And B, allows you free shots on Trevor Lawrence as a runner, which they got a lot of. But Lawrence all of a sudden breaks out that (laughs) 67-yard touchdown run. So, like, on the night where he's not having the greatest day passing, because also we have to mention, you know, Justin Ross and T. Higgins being banged up and in and out of the game, that clearly impacted what Clemson was trying to do in the passing game. So he doesn't have it in the passing game. So he uses his legs. He gets over a hundred yards rushing. He was doing everything that they needed him to do. He's taking big hits. He's getting up. He got, you know, he got he's got his bell rung pretty good by Wade when that targeting call had to leave for play. Came back in. It's like it wasn't pretty if you look at the stats, but in a way, I feel like that was Trevor Lawrence's most impressive game in college. It's incredible that this kid's only twenty years old because he has like that kind of composure and that never freaking out, never feels like he's down or going to lose kind of mentality to him where everything just seems so smooth. Like it's like you're watching Joe Montana or Tom Brady or somebody, except this kid's 20. I do think that it matters. And Barton, you mentioned this. uh, I don't think going into the game, but you know, Justin Fields only had what, like one season as a starting quarterback in high school. Uh, he had, he started his junior year was his first, was the only real full season. He had, he played a couple games his sophomore year and he was, and got hurt and, right? and he got hurt like midway through his senior year and Trevor Lawrence, four year starter in high school. Right. Yeah. And won like three state championships and played deep into playoffs every year. Like he had like 60 stars in high school. Yeah. That's. Uh, he's football old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Like he's 20 years old. You're 100 right. It's crazy to think that he's got that kind of composure. But 
I mean, he just like the the only time when youth sort of factors into my analysis of Trevor Lawrence during an interview or a conversation or or you know any of the the times that we or anyone else gets a chance to sort sort of put him into under the microscope or into the spotlight it's only that he just doesn't have interest beyond football right or just you know <laughs> like or you know just being a good guy or, or you know all, all of the the sort of you know all the all the good Clemson good old Clemson uh, uh, values that they have at the program but the the fact that Trevor Lawrence has been in so many of these situations, uh, the ESPN cameras did a good job of, of putting it on display right before what ended up being the game winning drive. He's like gathering his offensive line together. He's huddling them up and he's like putting their helmets together. And he's like, I just, I just in my head, I was like, Oh, he is telling these guys exactly what they're going to go do and what ended up happening. it was uh, first down, first down, first down touchdown, right? four plays <laughs> sounds right yeah. yeah yeah it was it was like a a 10 yard play a 10 yard play a 38 yard play and a touchdown and i just almost uh, uh, imagined in my head i was like that is exactly the kind of confidence and in the post game scrum and you know some of that stuff is still going on right now as we're recording but some one clemson player came out and said like, you know was there any doubt going into that final drive and they said not not when you with that quarterback and the fact that Trevor Lawrence at the age of 20 uh, being just a sophomore is able to have that kind of impact on a locker room is uh, is is a pretty impressive thing. So I'm I'm looking at the Clemson Tigers right now. They didn't play their best game, but they played just good enough to win. And it's it's something that for a team that we wondered if they were going to be able to show up and if they were going to be able to take a punch. This was a giant, giant check mark because the whole battle tested theory is is now all of a sudden out the window, having gone against an Ohio State team that I think could have won a national championship. RIP thoughts and prayers, Tom, to plus six hundred. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. But like like this Ohio State team could have won this game and could have won a national championship. But uh but Clemson could win a national championship too. So I'm uh I don't know it, it, what else, what else sort of stands out to y'all about well, this? Yeah. So a, I, I want to, um, touch on who you guys think is a better matchup. Like who, who is, who is, who is an LSU's best interest to win this game? Um, uh, but before I get to that, like in, in, in response to your, your Trevor Lawrence discussion just now, like coming out of high school, if like they're really, I mean, they're really, there wasn't like a true knock. So like this, this wasn't a knock. He was our, the top rated quarterback in the history of 24 seven sports. He, he was the number one player in the country, our highest rated quarterback ever. Like he, he was generational in terms of the way we viewed him. But like when we, when we lined him up with, with Justin Fields and this was a very real debate. And I actually was, was someone that, that leaned to Justin Fields between the two was the, the one thing that Justin Fields had was the mobility, the sort of more the quote modern quarterback of, I mean, six foot four, 230 pounds, runs a four, five forty, And, you know, he's this, the game is moving more towards these guys. Whereas Trevor Lawrence, while he's mobile, 
too tall. Is, is, <laughs> yeah, he's like a tall yeah. pocket packer. Right. Well, like I think the two things that have happened since he's come to Clemson are one, he, you know, he showed up looking like a high school kid, skinny, gangly, just you know, not really physically ready for the game, and whatever. He still won a national championship, so not 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 that he wasn't physically ready, but that was something he needed to improve on. Well, now he you know, when one season. One season in, he's taking these just like pounding, brutal shots from the number one defense in the country, and they keep feeding him the ball. Like yeah. they're not scared of it. Like they're just like this guy is is he has put in the work to be ready for this pounding. We're not worried about it. Trevor, you good? You good? All right, keep going. And and secondarily and kind of related is he has also evolved into this very modern, very dual threat in a way quarterback. I mean, I, I, I hate that we even differentiate between pro style and dual threat because everyone's kind of has to be dual threat to a certain degree in football today. And Trevor's Lawrence is proving to be very much a dual threat quarterback and he has grown into that. And so, uh, I just think with that added on to all of the just traits he showed up with that, that makes him that much tougher to defend. You know, it's funny because he is like six, six. So, it, you know, he's six, six two twenty. So it's like, but he's, since he's not like a, you know, linebacker that's six, six, he's kind of skinny for six, six. It's like, you, you forget how big he is. So it's like, when you see him taking those hits, it's like, oh man, poor Trevor, poor little guy's getting smacked around. And then you realize, oh no, wait, he's he's bigger than a lot of the guys hitting him. He's, uh, yeah. he's, I mean, he's a big dude. Like you, you stand next to him and you're like, Oh, okay. All right. But that's the, isn't there uh, I don't think it happens in college football, but it isn't in the NFL that are starting to become a theory about being too tall. Uh, I mean, well, so, so here's the thing. And like, this is also the thing that I, I really loved about Trevor coming out of high school is he is, he is all of six, five plus six, six. And usually when a guy is six, five plus six, six, he is, he's got this sort of, I don't want to say elongated delivery, but it's, it's more of a rigid delivery mm. where, and, and, and Trevor throws it like he's six, one and a half. Like he's got this quick release. That's, that is, allows him to distribute the football off platform in different ways through windows in chaos where he doesn't have to just be sort of, you know, Peyton Manning in the pocket. And, and so that was always that. So, yeah, I think to that point, like being this long bodied quarterback these days is not as valued as being someone who is in that, you know, more of that six, one, six, two mold that can get rid of the football and and distribute it and deliver it. Like the, the delivery mechanism has to be more dynamic and it's like the Russell Baker, Kyler mold. Like exactly Russell Wilson and Trevor and Trevor yeah. throws more like those guys than he does like, you know, Peyton Manning or more, more of the old school Drew Bledsoe traditional, like old pro style NFL quarterbacks. Mm. Uh, anything else on this game that we want to get out? Uh, I don't know why oh. Ryan Day didn't go for two. I mean, it didn't matter in the end, but that was just weird. Did you think that was that big a deal? Yeah. I, I was proven wrong at the time I said out loud, I was having that discussion, uh, with 
Paul Meyerberg, USA Today. We were debating it. And at the time, it was early fourth quarter, and my prediction was that the game was about to get loose. The game did not get loose, but I just, you know, the way the game had felt, I was like, I don't know, man. It kind of feels like there's two more scores in this game. I was wrong, obviously. I will admit that. And the, But don't the analytics say you should have gone for two? Oh, hell yes. I mean, you... There's no difference between being up one and two at that point in the game, but being up three, there's a pretty clear difference. Mm. Yeah. I, and, and look, I, to be honest with you, and this is why, like, I wasn't really, I don't know. I was looking at Twitter after the score and all, you know, so I wasn't really like thinking about in that frame of mind. So I didn't in real time, I wasn't like, why is he not kicking it? But I, I, felt like pretty clearly that should have been the decision and you know Ryan Day wasn't on Twitter during the game so he should have he probably should have known that oh man the I I do think that Ohio State Clemson was the uh was like the Twitter rules expert MVP bowl game and the Twitter coach (laughs) expert MVP bowl game there was definitely that out there but the and the funny thing about the Twitter rules expert guy was like there every as the same time as everyone was saying like the si- the timeline was back to back like terrible call that's can't possibly be targeting and the next guy up is that's very clearly targeting got to call that <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, every targeting call yeah, yeah. but i thought that no i thought that one was pretty clear you it's obvious took, took the it's, crown of your helmet and hit the quarterback in the head and whether it was intentional or not don't have beef with that call. Have beef with the rule. And if oh, you have yeah, beef with the sure. rule, then yeah, I'm with you. Let's. Yeah. I'll. 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 I'll pick it in the streets with you. One other minor thing I have problem with from this game is all the tweets I saw about where's Chase Young. Yeah, that was. Yeah. A, I had a problem with that too. I know he didn't have a bunch of tackles, and I know he didn't have a bunch of sacks, but like he was in the backfield forcing Lawrence to move around and be uncomfortable, like on 40% of his dropbacks. Yeah. And like how many times did Clemson even throw like a five-step drop? Yeah. I mean, everything was getting it out quick because chase young was in the backfield immediately. So I, I I'm sure he affected their whole game plan. Yeah. yeah. It's, the it's, entire it's, Clemson game plan starts with avoiding chase young. Right. It's and, very, and maybe I'm just like super, I'm super sensitive to it because being a bears fan, like there's been a whole lot of Cleo Max not having a good year. Cleo Mack is like fourth in the NFL in QB pressures. It's like just because they're not getting the sacks. The sacks are just, you know, those are random for the most part. The pressure is what you want. And yeah, yeah so yeah, if you're if you're if you're scrapping your vertical passing game because of one player, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say you're making you're making an impact. Okay. And uh I guess before we hit the break, to that point, the earlier question who would be the tougher matchup for LSU? I think it might be Ohio state. All right. So here, here's, uh, let's break it down and then we'll get to the LSU game. But I think this is interesting because, so I think Ohio state has better and, and Bill Connolly, who I have immense respect for made a statement that, Clemson has better a better secondary than Ohio State. I don't think that's true. I do not agree with that. No. I think I think Ohio State's corners would be and and Ohio State safeties for that matter and and with the exception of Isaiah Simmons I don't even know what you count him as. But <laughs> I think Ohio State's corners in particular create the best challenge for LSU's receivers that they've seen all year. 
and and I think their safeties are more equipped, uh, Isaiah Simmons excluded, to handle LSU skill guys as well than Clemson's. And I think that's a big piece of the puzzle in beating LSU is just having the dudes in the secondary to be able to maybe capitalize on a couple of those 50-50 balls that Joe Burrow throws up. So I, I lean initially Ohio State, but the more I watch that game tonight, the more I, I, I wonder if just the, the, all the kind of the, the funky style of that Clemson defense and the different looks that they're going to give and the different ways they can use their personnel. I just wonder, it's going to be different than anything Joe Burrow's seen so far this year. And I just wonder if it can, you know, they can get one pick six like they get on two of last year. They can get one something junky based on just coaching and just scheme and just giving them a messy picture that, that could, could make it a more challenging game for him than because if you're just going to give him clean looks and let him throw it, man, that's hard to pick against him. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, no, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't really have anything to disagree with there. Mine comes down to the, uh, just the fact that I, I think that, Clemson right now, because it is, uh, and, and, you know, I'm going to say all this and, you know, spoiler alert, but do stick around. Like my pick on cbssports.com is going to keep riding with Clemson, but LSU should probably win the game and LSU should probably win the game because I don't think that three down linemen and funky looks like, I don't know. LSU's seen it all. I mean, Auburn ran that three one seven. Remember? But, but my only counter to that is that Celis, you just not kind of feel like a team of destiny right now. Hell yeah, they do. <laughs> Maybe we should save this for after the break. But it's just, it's like <laughs> I like I I'm so torn in like my breaking down of this impending title game of being logical and trying to break it down for football are saying, Nope, no nope, team of destiny. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They're like, winning. Coming up on the other side, the many different ways that LSU might be a team of destiny next. Majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Himmelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. There's nothing on earth quite like this. Oh, what a goal! The UEFA 
Champions League is back at its new home on CBS All Access. Stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live. That's incredible. The UEFA Champions League group stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it. 29 for 39 for 493 yards, seven touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Yeah, but but only 92 of those yards and no of those touchdowns came in the second half. So we have to wonder if Joe Burrow peaked too early. Justin Jefferson was targeted 18 times. He caught 14 of them for <laughs> 227 yards and four touchdowns. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but after the game, uh, Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow were laughing about how there should have been two more touchdowns. Justin <laughs> Jefferson mad at themselves. No, Justin Jefferson was mad at Joe Burrow for missing him and not yeah. throwing it to him. Well, like, even Burrow in like the post game interviews on the field was like, well, you know, I didn't play all that great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, good luck to Tanner Muse and <laughs> Nolan Turner. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, these guys are national champions. I'm not, I'm not being, but I mean, how are those guys? How are, like, that's, that's, that is where I come up against it against this LSU team versus Clemson is, is, man, there's, there are some mismatches in there. Um, but, I mean, the, the big old gumbo eating Cajun God in the sky has ordained this as the year LSU wins the national title. So, uh, I mean, good luck Dabo. Uh, um, okay. So I'll let you, I'll, I'll let y'all go. Where, where do y'all want to go with this on, in terms of, uh, breaking down peach bowl? I mean, I knew that Oklahoma was going to have problems defensively with who they were, you know, who they didn't have. And plus, and then the ejection LSU's offense. Well, yeah, yeah. And then the targeting ejection takes out yeah. another safety. But who did they not have? They had Turner Yell and, and Ronnie Perkins. Yeah. Right. So you had your best pass rusher, which I honestly, I don't think was a huge deal because. You know, you know, no, no one gets to Joe Burrow anyways. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, you know, the losing your starting safety is a major problem, but it's just. I was very surprised by how ineffective Oklahoma's offense was and how bad Jalen hurts looked. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, I, I would say, cause look, I, I was the dummy that picked Oklahoma to cover same. Uh, and I don't think LSU did anything that I was shocked with in terms of productivity offensively. I just thought, that Oklahoma was going to be able to keep pace and in keeping pace would be able to slow the game down some and shorten it a little bit. And you look up and you just, you're kind of in a, in a shootout, a little bit of a fist fight there late. And they just, that, that just did not, this, I mean, it's, they're still coming into the game. We're the number one team in the country in yards per play, just like they've been the last two years. But, that was a different team. That was a different Oklahoma team than we've seen the last couple of years. I just, and I don't know what it is. I think, uh, I thought Dave Aranda had a good plan. He was like, we are going to make Jalen hurts pass the ball to beat us. He said, uh, Ed O'Dron said after the game that when you've got an offense like this, 
and you win the coin toss in a game like this, human nature says you want the ball. But I wanted to give my defense confidence, and I could tell that my defense was fired up, and they wanted to answer the call. And the play of guys uh, like Caleb Von Chasen, the play of Queen, the play of Jacob Phillips, like they just the, – the way that they just sort of flew around at the second level of the defense was really, really impressive to me. And I, I thought that they just sort of decided at some point, you know, within that defensive unit. And, again, I, I, I like Coach O, will credit Dave Aranda for this. They were like, nah, I, I understand that Oklahoma has this elite offense, but if we do our job and if we win that battle, then we're going to cruise in this game. And I thought they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, when Caleb on chase on, like, what, didn't he have a sack with the first play of the game? Yeah, no, it, yeah. Was, it was three and out, three and out, and maybe it was the first four Oklahoma drives. I think two or three of them were three and outs. Well, I mean, did you, you guys saw Patrick Queen's quotes in the lead up? I'm sure you did, Chip, or I don't know, maybe you didn't because you were interviewing other people. But Patrick Queen, and I think a few other guys said something similar, but Patrick Queen's was the, the soundbite that stood out to me. He was basically, he said, this, this is close to an exact quote. Uh, their running backs aren't very good. Their offensive line isn't very good. Uh, we expect to dominate them. Uh, he's, he's out there saying this stuff to, with a bunch of microphones in his face. And usually that doesn't go that well, especially when you're playing a Lincoln Riley offense. And he man, they knew, what, they knew what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, he backed it up with eight tackles and one and a half tackles for loss. Yeah. I, I can't remember who, who tweeted it out, but the tweet was in the Slack during this game. That was like, you know, LSU coaches and everything kind of, you know, they weren't saying it on the record, but off the record, they were kind of saying that they felt like Oklahoma was like the 15th best team in the country and was like the fifth best team they had played as they were preparing for the game. Yeah, I saw a few people tweet out that. I saw maybe two two LSU B people tweet that out, something like that out. So they, they clearly weren't even like really hiding it that much from the people close to them in the media. I just, uh, I, I, I look at this game. And so the, to take it to the other side of the ball, I thought LSU's defense did a great job, but the thing that stood out to me was that as, and I, I wrote this, but like as LSU is shattering all of these records, you know, Joe Burrow college football playoff records, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson college football playoff records, uh, the the ridiculous you know sixty three to twenty eight kind of blowout win as all this stuff is happening, it kind of felt unspectacular at least if you were reading the sideline like it was just business as usual as they are trouncing this team in a game that leads to the national championship game and there's something that's like a a little bit. You know, uh, BMAC, Brian McFadden, you know, sec- sh- I guess this is, this is a lot of Brian McFadden mentions, but, you know, he, he's real big on Joe Cool as his nickname for Joe Burrow. And, uh, and I feel like there's something about the attitude where the expectation within the offensive meeting rooms as they're going through their preparation is like, okay, 
And if they do this, we're going to do this and score a touchdown. And if they do this, then you know what? We'll do this and score a touchdown. And (laughs) there were plays where Burrow would throw the ball. And it was like one of those 50, 50 balls that you were talking about. And Burrow talked about how comfortable he feels throwing 50, 50 balls to Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Thaddeus Moss, Terrace Marshall. Um, But like, as I was watching it, the, the press box in Mercedes Benz stadium is kind of in the corner. So you almost get like more of an end zone view than a sideline view. There were a couple of those passes where there were one, maybe even two wide open receivers that would have been better options or like air quote, better options based on how much space they had. And that's what, when Joe Burrow's like, yeah, I didn't really have the, the, the best game. Like I saw a lot of, what could have been potentially even more open uh, receivers in that, in the process of that. So I just think that that's just the way that this LSU offense runs every single time that they get the ball, they expect to score a touchdown. And there's something about that mentality as we continue to go through this storyline of team of destiny or anything else. Like you don't even have to go through some Louisiana voodoo to just break down the X's and O's and be like, I don't know, man, Like, I just, I kind of think that this team, they expect to score every single time they have the ball, and the evidence has shown that more often than not, that's what they do. Well, uh, so this is, I I said this on HQ, that this game to me, like, yes, it got them to the national championship game, but because of the way they won that game, because of the, the, the nature of that blowout, and because they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, because they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, because they beat Auburn, they beat Florida, like they beat Texas on the road. And LSU is now playing. If they beat a 14 and 0 Clemson that is, has won 29 straight games heading into this one, defending national champions, if LSU beats that Clemson team, and I don't care how they beat them. They are the greatest team of all time. Oh, I'm glad. I mean, I, I'm glad I checked out of HQ before I heard that. So that honestly, I could, that's like, a like good a, take. A bar, yeah. Like barring like 1888 Yale or something, you know, like pre 20th century. <laughs> oh, it's got to be Yale. It's got to be Yale. <laughs> it's always got to be Yale. Hey, they were 13 and 0, never scored on. Uh, barring that team, you know, like in modern modern football, I, I know how hyperbolic that sounds. And, and so, but truly like from a resume standpoint, you've got the Heisman trophy winner, you've got the coach of the year, you got the Broyles Broyles award winner, you got the Thorpe winner, you got the Bednarik award winner. I'm not the Bednarik, the, uh, Belitnikoff winner. You've got the Joe Moore award winner. You have a arguably the best defensive coordinator in football. You have like you, you've been the best resume. Like yeah, the, the best, like, yeah. like what, what, like, what could you ever ask for more out of a team? <laughs> like to be termed as the greatest of all time. And not only that, but you know, those Miami teams, like, um, what was that Miami running backfield that had, you know, like McGahee Frank Gore and like, yeah, like McGay, he was like third team or something. And, and Ed, like, uh, Clinton Portis, Clinton Portis was in there. Maybe, you know, this is going to be one of those teams where, yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets all the workload, but when Tyrion 
Davis Price and John Emery Jr. go in the first round in three years or two years, and we look back on this LSU team and they were they got like you know forty five carries on the season or something. It's just it's just going to add to the folklore. So I I mean so I know that like I don't know. Sometimes I feel like hyperbole is 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 warranted, and I just think that's that that is what LSU is playing for at this point. If they lose, then hey, scratch all that. But if they win that that game, what what is there to keep us from saying that? What what resume, team, roster, whatever are you going to put up against what this LSU team has done this year? Got to beat Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, uh, you know the the Thorpe Award winners you mentioned earlier was Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, Kayla Von Chasen, uh, Richard Lawrence, like it works, it works across the entire roster. Yeah. Well, Delpit won the Thorpe, but he, he actually shouldn't have, I mean, honestly, that, that was the only award that was kind of, I mean, he didn't have his great year this year, but he was the third best DB on the team. Probably yeah. like, that's the irony of it. It's like, yeah, he probably didn't deserve the Thorpe, but he also was probably not the best DB on his own team this year. So what does that say about this LSU defensive backfield? Yeah, I voted for Okuda myself. <laughs> yeah, that's and I love Grant Delpit. Yeah, I do too. Well, Grant Delpit, what was has been hobbled? Like he's just now healthy again for the first well, that's time the in probably like yeah, a month and like a half. They're, all, they're they're just now hitting their stride. So we 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 nitpicked their defense for a while, and, and it was fair. But this is probably the healthiest they've been all year. Do you think that there's going to be any? We're going to talk about it a lot. I'm just going to introduce it now. But do you think that the playing in New Orleans, it is on a base level an advantage? But do you think that all the extra stuff, like, do you, I, I think it is a challenge. I don't think that that is necessarily a reason to think that LSU will not turn in an LSU type performance. But I do think that in terms of managing this long layoff, we're talking about from December 28th to January 13th, and it's going to be in New Orleans. Do we think that that, is, that has any potential uh, to maybe just pack a little bit of extra pressure that could shake what I agree is potentially like one of the, the greatest college football stories of the modern era? No, <laughs> I think it's just an advantage. I mean, I, what's what's their record at the Superdome? Does anybody know off the top? I mean, well, I mean, Alabama beat them. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not saying they're undefeated, but let me see if I can Google real quick. They beat Ohio State the 07 season, the Les Miles 07 championship. So January they, of 08. They, they whooped up on Illinois in the 2001 Sugar Bowl. I know that. I know you do. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think they've, I, I don't know the record off the top of my head and I can't find it with a quick Google search, but I'm fairly certain LSU historically has done pretty well in the Superdome. And I don't think that's really going to have an impact, although I'm sure it will be something that's talked about, but I mean, I, I think it's just going to be beating Clemson. I don't, I don't think that if they lose, it's going to be like pressure from agree. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm just saying there's a lot of people with access to this program who are going to want to have some more access given the proximity. 
but this whole thing, like this whole year, has been. Like I was just, I was thinking today. I mean, football is football more so than any other sport, and I I, I played a lot of sports in high school and growing up, and there's n- like nothing compares to a win in football. Nothing no, in no other sport. Nothing compared because there's just it's so hard, and there's there's so many ways you can lose and there's, and it's so physical and, and it grinds on you so much physically and emotionally. And there's just, no, there's nothing like the euphoria of a football locker room. And LSU has been winning like, like they've never won there all year long. And I just think that building has just so much, built up equity of like joy and mojo. And it's, it's, it's almost like, I mean, coach, O, none of that stuff, none of that periphery stuff matters. I don't think, like, I think this team is just in, in such a good place emotionally. And, and, and the, I mean, clearly the focus is there. Like I remember there, there was, I had the I had the volume off so in the game, but I guess it was after Oklahoma scored 14 points or something, and you know LSU still up like 35 14 or whatever it was. But Caleb on Chase on on is is like getting into the defense and sort of keeping them dialed in. And I just think that there's a level of leadership on this team, and it starts with the head guy and focus and alignment that I just, man, it's hard for me to see anything like getting this ship off course. And I'm not saying they can't lose. They they can, but, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be because they're not ready or because they don't, they're on the right mindset. One point of contention. I agree with what your spirit of what you're saying is. And I think that it's different ways, but I will say throwing a perfect game in baseball feels pretty damn cool too. Yeah, but that's that's like a specific. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying I like I said it, it comes in different ways. But like you know, winning a football game that's awesome. But also like single handedly destroying a team by yourself feels pretty good too. I'm not saying there's not a better feeling in sports than winning a football game. But I'm saying if you compare winning and and a cons- and like the kind of season LSU's having week over week after week against like a, I don't know what's a long win streak in baseball, like a 12 game win streak in baseball. Like, I don't think, I don't think those two are comparable that. Yeah. Throwing a perfect game, maybe a better feeling than rushing for 250 yards. Uh, But are you, is that, is that like low key, like brag that you've thrown a perfect game? (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're, if you're going to bring it up and get that in there. Okay. All right. All right. Was it high school or was it uh, club ball? High school. Mm. Well, against a good team. No, but mm. I mean, but it was a perfect freaking game. I was just so good Chip's, that day. Chip's trying to like tear down your perfect game. I know. Look at holes in your perfect game. <laughs> perfect game is a perfect game, Chip. I I just I don't know what uh, Proviso West who they were playing in. I don't know the con. I don't know the conference. <laughs> 
You guys are, you guys are playing all the, 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 the rich kids at Lake Forest. <laughs> no, 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 no. What Lake Forest was a long way from providing Southwest. Um, okay, so for the, the to your point about Caleb on chasing and the leadership angle, uh, Coach O said this was his best week of practice of his entire college career, and that's why he was named one of the team captains for the game, which considering the, you know, celebration that LSU had when he committed as a highly touted prospect, the fact that that, that light is starting to go off and the fact that he's starting to fill in those, you know, fill into the role that is so entrenched within the LSU defensive culture. Like, yes, the LSU football culture now has a whole lot uh, different look on terms of what we expect from the offense, but to have a game changing best player on the defense type linebacker who's out there and not only uh, being one of the, the, the high impact players, but also one of the leaders on the sideline and in the locker room, that is nothing but great news uh, for the Tigers. And then, you know, as, as, as we sit back and as we, you know, start to go back into the, uh, the mojo thing, there is a joy about this LSU team. Like there is a fun, there is a, uh, there's a happiness. There's something about Ed Odron where he's kind of stepped to the side and he's let, uh, his players be goofy in practice and he hasn't tried to overmanage or meddle with anything. And listen, if, if LSU does win this national championship against Clemson, which is absolutely possible and, you know, probably, I don't know. Again, my pick on CBSSports.com that Adam Silverstein asked for, like, I don't know, an hour ago. I did just stick with my early Clemson gut play. But having been, uh, having seen this LSU team now again in person after we saw them in uh, in Austin, they look like champions to me. So I would, uh, I don't, I don't think anybody's wrong, and I do think we're set up for probably. Uh, a national championship game that should pack uh, a whole lot of entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be a matchup of two of the, like it's, it's kind of wild to say it, but two of the best head coaches in college football. Um, I think Ed Ogeron, the way this team is clicking right now, He's looking like that. Um, Two interim coaches who'd never been coordinators before. Yeah. I just, I feel bad for Dabo because now that Chip's picked Clemson, he's not going to be able to pull out that nobody believes in us. That line, so the line opened at three and a half. I think it's already gotten bet up to like five, or at least in some places. I I, I hope that I get a chance to... uh, I don't think it's going to be, I was thinking about this. I don't think it's going to be the leading up to the national championship. It's probably going to be more of an off season, but, uh, Hey Dabo is the, like the second time I've told you on this podcast. Cause I know you're a loyal listener, a five-star subscriber, but I've got the receipts. People are, t- pe- people think you're pretty good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah like what did six of our seven expert pickers pick clemson to win the fiesta bowl like i'm i'm pretty sure that uh the this whole no one wants us in the playoff is uh 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case. So yeah, but now, now Dabo gets to, you know, we're underdogs. No one's getting, oh, this is bet. Barton Simmons said LSU's the best team of all time. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, he, he's going to, he's, he's going to lean right back into it now. I Just know. keep it coming, Dabo. And man, there was a minute there when there was a lot of happy media folks that were uh, looking like Clemson's going to get run out the building by Ohio State. They were going to get to shove it in Dabo's face. But Dabo had the last laugh. Yeah. I, uh, it was because cause it's the middle eight. Clemson's a middle big, eight. Clemson, Clemson puts middle eight stats in their game notes. They believe in the middle eight. They, they, well, there's a lot, there, there's a lot of belief, uh, throughout that Clemson program, but they, they really think it's like, if we win the middle eight, we're going to win the game. And sure enough, right before halftime, getting it done to, uh, to be able to hang in that game after it looked like it was getting out of hand. Uh, all right. So Penn state won an absolutely nuts game against Memphis. Anything, anything stand out from that or Notre Dame, Iowa state? Uh, I mean, Penn state, like it, that was Memphis was exactly who Memphis has been all season long in that if they didn't have a big play, they weren't going to score because they, they couldn't put together like actual long drives. Like I remember at some point I tweeted it early in the game, but they had like 177 yards total offense at that point. But like 70% of those yards had come in five plays. <laughs> it so was, it, that's still pretty impressive what they were able to do offensively against. Oh yeah. And I also think kind of what we, I, I talked about it, you know, after the Ohio state game, I, I think Penn state needs a new quarterback. Yeah. I just, I just don't think Sean Clifford gives them a very high ceiling. Maybe they ought to go transfer portal shopping. Mm-hmm. Ghost coach though, gave Memphis a chance. Ghost coach, ghost coach gave him a shot. Ghost coach gave him a shot. Proud also shout out journey Brown. Jeez. It was like, cause that was the thing is you were looking at Memphis hitting on these big plays and you're like, man, all right. Okay. Does, does Penn state want to be here? And then the does Penn state want to be here also gets challenged by is Memphis's defense a thing? No, (laughs) (laughs) the, uh, the, cause Memphis overs were uh af- after an early under trend i feel like we all on the locks pods quickly jumped to the other side of that one and uh and 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 the memphis overs smashing here in the bowl season as well um yeah and i will s- i think that brian kelly in that notre dame game i think he was i think he was effing with us a little bit in his pressers leading up to this game getting getting all the getting all the beat writers to transcribe his quotes about how unfocused practice had been and psychology psychology season gone wrong on that one cuz they they were that game wasn't close um okay and shout out shout out Tony Jones for delivering the stiff arm from hell to Tavon Hall I haven't seen it yet <laughs> should I look Tony it up? Jones Oh yeah, he he had an 84-yard touchdown run. But the last 18 yards of it involved him just stiff arming the dude to oblivion. 
Tavon Kyle. He just he came to him at the 18. Jones just stuck his arm out, grabbed his face mask, and pretty much dragged him the last 18 yards with him. Huh. Yeah, that was uh, that, that was a microcosm for the whole game. Uh huh. The fact that this Iowa State team, sorry, my computer was about to die. I had to plug it in real quick. Um, it helps. Yeah, I know. Uh, how do you guys feel about uh, busting out another mailbag? Uh, yeah. Okay. Monday? I, suppose, uh, I don't know. Depends how we'll good the listeners are. Well, see, I, I feel like we need, to call, got- we need to call for it. That's, that was the problem we had before the last mailbag is I don't think that we really called for it. I mean, I feel like our listeners should just know, you know, it's like, do you, do you have to, do I have to ask you to tell me that you love me or do you just, you know, tell me that you love me? We'll see how bad they want it. I, I have the, I had to San Antonio tomorrow for the all American bowl. Uh, so Monday, uh, might be a little bit busy for me. So We'll see if I can squeeze it in, but if not, y'all are more than welcome to to, to two man show that operation. Ooh, ask us a bunch of questions about Barton. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in on a mailbag episode, whether it's recorded Monday or sometime in the future, the way that you do it is by leaving a five star rating and a review. And within that review, leave your question for the mailbag, denoted as such. It will get added to the big old bag of mail. The mailbag doc, as it continues to uh, co- continues to appreciate in value, we will uh, we will be back definitely with a mailbag episode at some point next week. We will definitely be hitting you with uh, all of the college football playoff content that you want the next week, as well as checking in with Barton from the All American Bowl when uh, whenever whenever he gets a chance. Does that sound yep. good? Yep. That sounds good. Can you we'll take see the, can you take see pot, the next you can take pot equipment, please? I'll take I'll take pot equipment. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> getting getting our next week planned right here at two oh three AM Eastern That's right. Time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hey, it's, it's, it's the holidays. It's the playoffs. Um, we're giving it to you as we get it. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Good night. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal.